It's that time, the Betting Predators Podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by player prop fantasy football expert Chris Dell. You guys can find him on Twitter as well at MadJournalist. That is M-A-D-D journalist. And you can find us both at bettingpredators.com and pregame.com. All right, Chris, here we go. NFL Week 4. This is our Money Picks Podcast. This is a podcast where we go ahead and talk about all the player props. We talk about DFS season long. You and I, we basically go through all the games on Sunday, except Sunday night football. First game I want to go ahead and start out with, Chris, is the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. Chris, I'm going to go first on this one. I don't see how we don't play Miles Sanders over his 60.5 rushing and Jalen Hurts over his 50.5 rushing. Go back to last week. Miles Sanders got, what, two carries? And Jalen Hurts had 35 yards. I watched Philadelphia. They cannot pass the ball. Here's something that I'll tell you, and I don't know if a lot of people know this. Philadelphia skill position guys, they don't have a guy over six foot. And I honestly don't think that Jalen Hurts could see these guys. And this is a very, very fast Philadelphia Eagle team. And by the time he does see them, they're ripping right past him. And he's constantly throwing the ball behind these guys. Go back to last week, Jalen Hurts, he put the team behind the eight ball because he just wasn't able to go ahead and, you know, be accurate with the football. And it was, you know, third and long, second and long. And it was like, you know, all right, and you're punting again. So I have a gut feeling that there's no way that they don't go ahead and feed Miles Sanders in this game. And I don't have any any idea why the Eagles would not let Jalen Hurts run. Kansas City's rush defense, second to last in the league. They give up 160 yards per game. And I feel like if I take Sanders and I take Hurts, I'm hitting one of those. But I have a very good feeling that there's a chance I might hit two. And the reason why I want to take Sanders here and the reason I want to take Hertz here is because I feel like I'm buying low. And that's what we try to teach you guys. Buy as low as you possibly can. Get on them in a particular situation where you think that these guys are going to go ahead and perform at a higher level. I believe they will perform at a higher level. They didn't get the production last week. They have to do that this week in order for Philadelphia to win this game. This isn't an easy game. They got to play the Kansas City Chiefs again. Terrible rush defense from Kansas City. So, Chris, that's what I'm doing. Miles Sanders over to 60 and a half rushing. Jalen Hurts over 50 and a half rushing. What do you got? Yeah, I do like the Jalen Hurts rushing yards. The only time it hasn't hit, I believe it's now seven full career NFL starts. And last week was the only week. And I think that game was kind of an anomaly when you look at all the games that the Eagles have played in with Hurts under center. Um, it That game just got out of hand against the Cowboys. And I believe that the Eagles set a record for fewest uh, running back rush attempts in a game. I think Miles Sanders had one rush in the first half, finished with two or three for the entire game. Uh, It it was just a really wacky game the way it played out. And the fact that they didn't even really try to get Jalen Hurts on design rush attempts early in that game when at least they still had a chance to compete. He got a lot of those in junk time late in the game. I think he got up to about in the mid to high 30s, but – I do, I do believe that the value's there because we saw that prop line creep up to the mid-50s last week. Now we're seeing it back down to around 50 where I believe there is value. And if you take out that game, he's gone over 60 rushing yards in every single game in all his full starts. Uh, the one prop that I actually like the most in this game, Sleepy, is Devonta Smith over 47.5 receiving yards. Uh, this came out at, I believe, 46.5 earlier this week, so it hasn't moved very much, but when you look at a, lot of, uh, at a lot of the air yards data over the course of the season, Devontae Smith, he ranks number t- uh, top 20 in the NFL in air yards on the year. The targets are there. The routes are there. 
And he's just had really bad matchups over the last couple of weeks. The San Francisco 49ers in week two, their pass rush really got to the Eagles. And Jalen Hurts didn't have that much time to look down the field. In week three, we're looking at now the emergence of one of the top shadow cornerbacks in the league with the Cowboys and Trevon Diggs. And he happened to line up with Devonta Smith on a lot of his routes during that game. So that Cowboys secondary isn't necessarily one to pick on like we did pretty much every week last season. So Devontae Smith now going up against probably his best matchup of the season outside of week one when he played against the Atlanta Falcons. And he was looking like a breakout star when you go back to that week one game. So I do like Devontae Smith for for a locked in number one receiver in his offense in a potential shootout with an over under total of, of about 55 points with the Eagles going back home. I think this is a number he could smash on one play, let alone maybe even in the first half of this game. So I really like that. I am, I'm in agreements with you. I also like the Hurts rushing prop. Um, and then another uh, prop that I actually uh, do like, which I gave to our subscribers earlier in the week, is McCole Hardman. I actually like under his receiving yards. Uh, this came out at about 40, 41 and a half. Uh, it's been bet down now to 38 and a half, but the projections have him for about 35 and a half yards. If you look at for three straight weeks now, McCole Hardman's routes have gone down every single week. Uh, Tyree Kill has been blanketed in coverage over the last few weeks as well. And and what does that have to do with the Chiefs? Well, both of the weeks that Hill was contained, they lost those games. I don't I don't think that's any coincidence there that th- those two things happen. So I do see that the Chiefs making a concerted effort to get the ball to Tariq Hill in this game. And I don't think the Eagles defense is going to stop them from doing that. And I think you're what you're going to see is McCole Hardman. He's only gone over this total one time out of three games, and that was the game against the Ravens where they were essentially triple teaming, like pretty much bracketing Tyree Kill on every single play, and Hardman had eight targets. He's had four or less targets in his other two games this season. So he's the guy in a third-string role at best in this offense where they just signed Josh Gordon. I think that's a sign to show you that they're starting to lose faith if they haven't already in a guy like Hardman. You're seeing more production and efficiency go to the likes of Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson. So Hardman's literally fighting for scraps in that offense. And because of the great matchup for Kelsey as well, uh, I I do like this, the fact that we're getting more than a five-yard difference on the under in our projection. So uh, number one play for me is Smith over 47 and a half right now. Uh, I like the Hurts rushing as well. And then I'm also on McCole Hardman under uh, 40 and a half. I'd probably play that down to about right where it is now, 39 and a half, 38 and a half at about minus 110. All right, here's what I noticed, though, with Philadelphia in regards to your uh, Devonta Smith prop. I think that, that Hurts is right now, like, if he's more than likely he's going to go towards the guy that he trusts the most. And I believe that's the tight ends when it comes to throwing the ball. Again, like I said, these guys are just so small and undersized that if you go back to last week and you look at what the tight ends did, I mean, Hurts was a big part of that game plan. Goddard was a big part of that game plan. I believe they were their top two receivers, you know, yardage-wise uh, last week. So I would be kind of looking at those guys, too. I think they certainly fit into the mix. But if you go back to where, you know, Hertz had his best games, uh, Devonta Smith was there. So we'll see how it all works out. But I also believe that Philadelphia, you know, will try to tie in those tight ends. So I would kind of, you know, hone in on the two tight ends and Smith maybe look for some reception props, yardage props, maybe in a couple TD props, because I have a feeling that they're going to have a concentrated attack where it's Hurts, Sanders, probably the two tight ends, and Smith. 
and they're not going to go in and try to involve guys like Quez Watkins and Gainwell and, and Rager and, and, and all these other guys that they have um, because they just have a lot of playmakers. It kind of reminds me, Chris, from what I'm seeing from this Philadelphia team, like a Doug Peterson offense where he's trying to get nine different guys involved. Philly needs to stop what they're doing, focus on a couple of the key guys, the guys that I feel Hurts is really comfortable with, and I think they'll actually do quite well. Let's go ahead and let's jump over to the next game here, Chris. We have the Titans. We have the Jets. Right now, current line on this game, Jets going to be plus six and a half points here at home. I believe this line at one point was plus seven. Money has come in here against the Titans. They have a total of 45 in this game. Chris, I'll let you rip and run first. I know there are some injury concerns for this game. Uh, please let everybody know what's going on with those. Then we can go ahead and we can uh, break this one down. Well, we have the issue with A.J. Brown's looking like he's not going to play. Uh, he might be out for a couple weeks. And then Julio Jones, it seemed like, oh, maybe he was sat out at the end of week three because of rest. But looks like he has a hamstring in- issue potentially that he's dealing with right now. So we only have props for Ryan Tannehill and I believe Derrick Henry in this game on the Titans side of things. Uh, when it comes to the Jets side, I mean, the projections don't show me that I want to bet the over. But personally for me, I do kind of want to bet the over on Corey Davis here. You're talking about a Jets team that's 0-3. They're going in back at home with their backs against the wall. They're almost touchdown dogs at home. Uh, You know, we do have a low over-under total in this game, but, uh, you know, Corey Davis is a guy that's been just dealt with a really bad hand when it comes to bad matchups over the last couple weeks. Uh, He was was locked in to the number one receiving role with Zach Wilson to start off the season. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, week one, seven targets, five catches, 97 yards. Even in last week's loss where they were shut out by Denver – 26 to nothing don't forget that Corey Davis had 10 targets and 41 yards so I don't think it's that out of the question where he's going up he's going up against his old team he was brought into his new team for a reason and paid well over the offseason uh Zach Wilson's going to look to his number one guy and frankly we don't have a guy that we're afraid of on the opposing secondary with the Tennessee Titans like look go ahead and play the Titans in DFS like they have huge upside pick six potential, sack potential, turnover potential against Zach Wilson. But it doesn't mean that you don't want to attack this in terms of Jets players too when it comes to the prop market where we could be getting a lot of value. So I think there is value in Corey Davis right now to where you look at the fact he's had five or more catches in two or three games. You can get plus 125 over four and a half catches in this game. You can also get over 51 and a half yards I would probably lean to the catches, the fact he's done this two out of three, and you're getting the plus money as opposed to paying the minus 115 on the receiving yards. Maybe maybe I'll sprinkle and split my unit up in between the two and play them both because I think that he's going to be heavily targeted in this game, and he's not going to have to worry about an elite defense on the other side. He's played the Panthers, the Patriots, and the Broncos. It doesn't get much tougher than that to start off the season, so I'm looking for a big bounce-back bounce back game from Davis against his old team. And I think he could be a really sneaky option in DFS to get you a nice ceiling there as well. Yeah, unfortunately, there are injuries, so we don't have all the Tennessee guys. I kind of like Michael Carter over his one and a half receptions. Here's my thinking on this one. The Jets have to come into this game knowing that they can't afford to make a bunch of mistakes. When Zach Wilson's trying to throw the ball down the field, uh, he's throwing interceptions, and it's, it's putting that team behind the eight ball. I think they need to go ahead. They need to concentrate, you know, right around the line of scrimmage, whether it's, you know, running the ball, you know, quick passes to the running backs or the wide receivers, 
you know, quick little slants, maybe something, you know, fast out there to the tight end. But the longer he sits in the pocket and the more time he has to sit back there and kind of survey the field, uh, the worse things get. And I know Thomas isn't or Carter isn't exactly, you know, the number one option out of the backfield, but it seems like he's getting more of the snap percentage now. He had like three targets last week. His targets are going up. And I could, if I could get him at two catches, it's minus 130. Uh, money's coming in on that. I just have a gut feeling here, Chris, that, that the Jets have to go ahead and they have to kind of play small ball in this particular situation. This is an all-in or nothing game for them. Otherwise, they're 0-4. The season's over. It's that simple. And I don't think a lot of people would probably you know argue against me. The Jets are one of the worst three teams in the league. So they have to do something you know, to go ahead and gain some type of positivity. And this is a team that in Tennessee who's coming on the road injured. Maybe they could beat a team like this and, and, and it will give them, you know, a lot of hope, but you have to go in there with some type of a game plan. And I believe a lot of it's going to be just short, you know, chipping down the field. Let's just try to grind out some first downs. So I'll take Michael Carter over his one and a half receptions. It's minus one thirty. I'm okay with that. And I wouldn't be opposed to going ahead and playing his receiving yards over eight and a half either. I know last week he kind of let a couple people down in that particular area where I believe he had lost a couple yards on a catch, and uh, it went against him. So I wouldn't be opposed to going ahead and doing that, Chris. As far as Davis and Henry and stuff like that, um, I don't want anything to do with that, and I probably won't even look at any of the Titans guys. Michael Carter, I I agree with you on the receptions. I do think there's value there. Uh, He burned me last week. I had him over six and a half. And that line was bet up to like 10 and a half towards the end of the week. But if you actually actually look at the underlying numbers, like you said, Sleepy, he has two catches on three targets in that game. So he's had three targets in back-to-back games now. And he had, he actually had a long catch of, of 10 yards in that game. But he, had, he lost five yards on a single reception. So if he didn't get that five-yard loss on one of his catches, he would have now gone over this eight and a half total in three straight weeks. He had 14 receiving yards in week one. 29 receiving yards in week two and he's only running a route on about 27 percent of the snaps in this offense he's actually being used more as the primary rusher as opposed to ty johnson in in week three we saw michael carter handle 70 percent of the jets running back rushing attempts where we saw ty johnson actually running a route 55 percent of the time as opposed to michael carter 27 percent of the time however i will say that michael carter was targeted almost 30% of the routes that he run, which is a very ran, which is a very good number there. So I, I do think that, you know, this sets up as a good matchup for the Jets, for the Jets. And you expect to see the rookie continue to get more and more, more involved in the rushing game and the receiving game as the weeks go on there. So I, I don't mind those props either. I think there's definitely value on the overs there. I think that if he goes over that number, Chris, last week, he's probably sitting at 12 and a half this week. So, you know, I'm trying to buy, I'm trying to buy low, on a lot of these players right now. And look, when you get a guy who might not be the primary, you know, running running back receiver, that's fine. As long, if I if like Chris said, if I'm getting 70% of the snaps, look, they can audible from one play to the next and maybe they had a rushing play and it turns into, a, you know, a, a quick little dump off or something like that. As long as I get guy on the field, I'm happy about that. At least I know that I'm not fighting an uphill battle, you know, begging for snaps. Like that's not what I want or, you know, a running back committee where it's 50-50, where you don't know what's going to happen. But I feel like I know the game plan here for the Jets. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to make those plays. Yeah, I'll do both, Chris. I'll do the over to receiving, and I'll do the over receptions. I feel pretty good about that. Let's jump over to the Texans 
and the Bills. Bills are going to be laying a monster number here, Chris, minus 17. I'm guessing you probably got some props in this one uh, just due to, you know, the way that this game probably is going to go. Uh, total on this one, 47 right now. Chris, who are you looking at for that game? Texans and Bills, man. Um, actually, Sleepy, the, the prop I like the most is I like Davis Mills under his passing yards in this game. Um, David, uh, you look at the three teams that the Bills have played so far this season, and only one quarterback has been able to reach over 200 yards, and that was last week, uh, Taylor Heineke. Uh, Big Ben, I think it took him – about 38 passing attempts. He only got up to, uh, I believe it was 188 yards. Uh, even Jacoby Brissett, he needed 40 pass attempts to get to 169 yards against the Bills. So neither of these two guys even sniffed 200 yards. And now we're talking about Davis Mills, who had 168 yards on 28 attempts, averaged six yards per pass attempt in week three. And now he gets an even tougher matchup his first ever road start, uh, the projections right now have Davis Mills, if you look around, at about 185, 186. Uh, the line right now is 206.5. I'd given this out at 207.5, so we've seen at least a one-yard movement in our direction, which isn't bad either. Uh, I'd put a buy price on this at 202.5. Uh, I just don't think that Mills is going to get to 200 yards in this game. Uh, and you look at the fact that Cordavius White, like he's going to be all over Brandon Cooks in this game. I know Brandon Cooks, he's going to run maybe 30% of his routes out of the slot. I wouldn't be surprised even to see Tredavious White follow him in there and try to cover him for a majority of this game. As you know, the Bills defense, man, their secondary is legit. They rank fifth in coverage, according to PFF, fifth in overall defensive grade, and ninth in pass rush grade. So uh, I, I just frankly don't see it. And when I get a rookie quarterback making his first road start against an elite secondary, and you're getting a 15-yard edge on your – almost 20-yard edge on your projection or more, to me that's a best bet. So I, I would even go uh, you know, one and a half to two units on this. I really like this play. It's my favorite play for this game. And I don't mind that one, Chris, at all. I went through – I looked at the stats for Davis Mills, and they're not good. This guy could absolutely blow up. And I believe the Texans actually – I think they got Jeff Driscoll from the practice squad. They're going to have to call him up and put him on the active roster for this game. Don't be shocked if Mills goes out there and just has a terrible first half or a terrible first quarter if they're like, okay, let's not ruin this kid. Let's get this guy who, you know, is a practice squad guy. We already know where we're at for this season. We know what we're going up against with this team. Uh, don't be shocked if they just yank him out of there and uh, we see Driscoll for a period of time. That would not surprise me one bit. But even a 205 and a half, Chris, uh, his completion percentage, I believe it's like 44, 45%. And I'll give credit where credit's due. He actually looked far better than I thought he would. But again, that's, you know, one game at home where you kind of got to lift the guy up. This is on the road against the Bills getting 17 points. You know, the only logical way the Texans win this one is to hand the ball off and hope and pray that they can con continuously move the chain, shorten this game up and try to keep Josh Allen and Diggs off the field. It's the only way the Texans have a chance, you know, to even win this game. So uh, I don't hate that play. I'm not against it at all. And don't be shocked if you see the backup quarterback uh, actually play in this game. Let's jump over to Panthers and the Cowboys. Cowboys are going to be minus four and a half. Panthers uh, undefeated. Should be an interesting game. Uh, Cowboys coming off a pretty big win there against Philadelphia. They get a big win, 41-21. Uh, high total on this one, Chris, 51 and a half. I didn't really break this one down a whole lot, but I'm sure I can find a guy or two 
Uh, I did see some Chubba Hubbard noise going on out there, so I'm not sure if you're looking at his direction or any of the Panthers for that matter. But what do you got for that one? Yeah, I actually really do like that play a lot. Um, Chuba Hubbard over his receiving yards. Um, you know, the projections right now, they're not showing this to be that good of a bet. But sometimes when you look at just overall projections in the fantasy market, player prop market from PFF and a lot of these outlets out there, um, basically it's just hard for them to factor in a guy making his first career start. Uh but what I will do is I will look at the numbers from week three once CMC went down. And Chuba Hubbard handled 73, 73% of the snaps. But most importantly, he handled 100% of the snaps on long down and distance situations where you're going to see running backs get reception work, especially in this offense. Um, he also handled 100% of the snaps in the two-minute drill, which is very important for checkdowns and running backs. Uh, 72% of his routes per passing play had a 22% target share. So all these signs are pointing to basically the Mike Davis role that we saw last year from uh, in CMC's absence. And I think that even in a positive game script, you saw on Thursday Night Football in week three when CMC went down, the Panthers never trailed in that game. Hubbard still wound up getting five targets, three catches, 27 yards. Uh, I like this line when it came out at 22 and a half. Uh, I like the over there. Right now, most of the lines you're going to see are at 23 and a half. Uh, I still like that number there as well. Uh, Fox bet actually has a rogue line right now at 20 and a half at minus 128. I would go bet that if you could. Uh, and also I noticed in the last game, I'm looking at the odds jam board where you can look at player props across about nine different books. Uh, they also had Dave Fox bet also had Davis Mills at two ten and a half, which is completely different than the other books there. So if you can get Hubbard over 20 and a half at Fox bet right now, I would be all over that play. I love it at 22 and a half. I personally would probably buy it up to about, you know, 23 and a half. I'd maybe go a half unit up to 25, 26 yards as well. Um, Here's the thing is that when you look at what, you know, when you look at who the, um, the Panthers are playing in the Cowboys, look at what opposing running backs have done in the passing game to the Cowboys. Just last week we saw against the Eagles, their running backs combined Sanders, Gainwell, and then Scott and garbage time. 10 targets, 8 catches, 65 receiving yards. Chargers running backs, which wasn't just Eckler, by the way. It was other running backs involved as well. 11 targets, 11 catches, 68 yards. Tampa Bay running backs, 10 targets, 7 catches, 39 yards. So all three opponents that have faced the Cowboys this year, their running backs have totaled 10-plus receptions and 39-plus receiving yards. And they've had over 65 receiving yards in two of the three games. So I like Hubbard over his receiving yards. I also don't hate a play on his receptions, especially if you can get it at plus money right now. Right now you can get over three and a half catches at plus 100. So if it was me, I'm going to throw my best bet of this game on over receiving yards. I'm going to throw an extra pizza bet on over three and a half catches because although I do believe Royce Freeman will work in a little bit on rushing early down work, I think Hubbard's going to have the passing game role all to himself. And this could be, you know, we've heard a lot of people say over the last week or so, the Panthers have not trailed for a single snap this season. I expect that to change going into Dallas without their best player as five point dogs in this game. And we're getting a pretty nice over under total of 50 and a half. So we're expecting both teams to put up points and to put up yards in this game. So that that's absolutely my favorite prop for this game. What I would do, Chris, and I'm not going to go ahead and play a prop in this one, but I'm going to go back to what I saw last week in the Dallas game. 
I think if you probably have a guy like Dalton Schultz sitting on your bench and uh, maybe you're, you're tight end light in that one, maybe you consider going ahead and playing him. Uh, Dak went to him a lot, and we know that this Carolina Panthers defensive line is pretty good against the rush. They haven't given up 50 yards all season long. So I have a feeling that you might see Dak throwing a little bit more here, but that Dalton Schultz last week was just lighting it up. Like he did not let Dak down. And if this is going to be a game where, you know, it's probably not going to be 41-21 or, you know, where the, where the Cowboys are up by, you know, three, four TDs in this game, my gut feeling is that Dak's going to need to rely on, you know, one of his safety blankets. And I believe one of those safety blankets is Dalton Schultz. Now you can get him at over three and a half catches. You can go ahead and you could play him over to 35 and a half receiving yards, but I'm just going to recommend maybe plugging him in, you know, in a DFS lineup or maybe in your season long, if you're, you know, if you need a guy, um, a a tight end to go ahead and fill a spot, I don't think he's a bad option um, at all. I'm not sure what you think, Chris, about Dalton Schultz, but it looks like he clearly has taken over, you know, the number one tight end spot over Blake Jarwin right now, at least from what I saw last week. Yeah, that's what it looks like so far. You know, it's been two out of the three games. We've seen Schultz have a clear edge. In in the third game, it was almost like a 50-50. And when you look at the overall routes on this team, I mean, they're both out there a lot. The Cowboys have been running a lot of two tight end sets. And I think you're going to continue to see more of that in the fact that Michael Gallup's not coming back from IR at least from a few more weeks. And Amari Cooper, he just might be playing the rest of the season with a cracked rib. So, I do think you have a unique buying opportunity on CeeDee Lamb in this game. Um, You know, we saw him have a big play in the first quarter of that game. Uh, But it was just one of those wacky divisional games on primetime where uh, Dallas just didn't really need to force the issue when it comes to the passing game there. I don't expect CeeDee Lamb uh, in the future to be lined around 69 and a half yards, 70 and a half yards. So I do think there is value playing the over uh, on his uh, receiving yards this week, even though we missed on it last week. So that's somewhere where I'd be looking. Um, and then DJ Moore, he's a guy where I think the upside's absolutely there. Although I am worried about the potential shadow matchup with uh, Trevon Diggs, who's really done well against a lot of the guys he's he's played. He, he's not shadowed the entire game, but when he's gone up against guys like Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, Devonta Smith, who we mentioned from last week, um, Keenan Allen ran 19 routes against Diggs in week two. He had two catches on 19 routes against him. So, you know, you're seeing this guy, like I said, emerging as one of the top elite shadow coverage cornerbacks in the league. So if they put him on DJ Moore for even half the game, I think you could see uh, secondary guys like Terrace Marshall, who actually has a really good matchup against Cowboys slot cornerback Jordan Lewis. Um, Terrace Marshall is a guy that he's second on my list right now because he's not getting the respect that he deserves, at least in the prop market just yet. He hasn't really had that big blow-up game. But, you know, I'm talking about Shuba Hubbard benefiting from CMC's absence. Well, where else can Darno look in the short, kind of quick dump-off, slant routes, parts of the field where normally you would target CMC? Well, you're going to go to your slot receiver. And who's the slot receiver? It's Terrace Marshall on this team. So right now, Terrace Marshall, 35 and a half yards, is juiced to the over at Fox bet. You can get 37 and a half in other places too. Uh, I I do think actually there's value on his receptions, um, which is something that I'm continuing to look at throughout the week. Another prop that you can get plus money, plus 110 pretty much at every book for Terrace Marshall over three and a half catches. So because of the matchup that Marshall benefits from in this game, no CMC, DJ Moore and or Robbie Anderson against Trevon Diggs, uh, that all goes to show me that Marshall in his fourth game now 
Uh, he saw all like season high, career high numbers last week in that game. Uh, and his low average depth of target, I think, fits perfectly into the situation the Panthers are facing now. And again, with the total, with the possible negative game script, uh, that's the second place I'm going to look in this game is looking to play Marshall overs because those are props that we could see jacked up from 35 to 50 yards just in about a week or two if he really has a true breakout game as a rookie. I thought about that pick too, to be honest with you. And you remember I was you know, on Twitter with you and I was like, I need Marshall, I need Marshall. And he finally got a late catch there. So I was happy about that, cash my prop with him. One thing I will say about Lamb, he let me down last week. And I believe this week is a completely different week. But I have to circle back to what happened with him and why I believe he was limited in that particular game. Go back to the Philadelphia Eagles when they played the Atlanta Falcons. Ridley and, and Atlanta went up and down the field on Philadelphia for two straight drives. They took Ridley out of the game completely after those first two drives. And after C.D. Lamb burnt them on the first drive last week, they absolutely took him out of the game. So what I'm thinking here, Chris, is just be careful with Kansas City with Tyreek Hill. Because if Philadelphia realized, hey, we did this and we took Ridley out of the game. Hey, we did this and we took Lamb out of the game. Whether Lamb was going to be involved or not, you know, that's a story for another day. But the fact that when they look at the box score, they could say Lamb wasn't the guy that hurt us. You know, it was Zeke. It was Pollard. You know, it was Dak throwing it to Schultz. It was that. So don't be shocked if Philadelphia just they stick to that same thing. Maybe we'll see a drive and see what happens. But after that, um, maybe even want to live bet it because Philly adjusted quicker to Lamb than they did to Ridley. And if they if they're adjusting quicker, maybe they just go out and they just say, you know what, we're just going to triple cover, double cover Tyreek Hill, let somebody else beat us. So that's just what I noticed with Philly. And that's kind of what I was thinking the Lamb problem was last week. And that's why I kind of, you know, got let down. I wasn't able to go ahead and cash my prop. Let's jump over to Giants. Let's jump over to Saints. Saints going to be minus seven this game. Uh, we have a total of 42. Chris, I don't know what to make of this game. I think these are two teams that we absolutely don't know who they are, what they're going to be, you know, where the hell they're going. The Giants, to me, have a half-decent roster, but I know they have injuries. I know I, I believe Slayton's going to be out and Shepard might be out this week. I know they have some injuries. Chris, you can go ahead and clear that up. But the Saints would have to be the team that I look at. One, they're going to finally play at home in the Superdome. It's going to be, you know, technically their, their home opener. And Winston's looked bad. Uh, he hasn't thrown for a ton of yards, um, and maybe we look at that prop over. Maybe this is the game where, you know, that that the Saints feel really comfortable where they don't have to worry about, you know, a whole lot of risk. Maybe they don't, they're not really, you know, worried about the Giants here. But I would look maybe at Winston's uh, passing yards over. It's down to like 201, which is, I mean, that would probably be like career low for a prop for him to be that low. So... I'm going to play that over. I'm not even going to think about that. I'm going to play that over. That's too low. He may throw for close to 300 yards in this particular game. And I know he hasn't looked good, but again, I'm kind of in this buy low kind of mode right now, and it's been working out great for me. So I'm not going to go any further than that. There's one prop in this game that I, I believe has a lot of value, and I can sit here and talk to it and keep thinking about it, but I can come up with probably 30 different ways why this hits and probably only a couple why it doesn't. And at 201 and a half, I'm going to play Winston over his passing yards without a doubt. What do you got, Chris? Yeah, you know, my first thought was to play Winston under, and then I saw the line, and it was like I said the same thing as you. I'm like, that's just too low. Um, it's not going to lead me to play the over, though, 
Um, because when you look at New Orleans, like you say, who are they? Well, I, I, I think we have a pretty good idea of who they are. Uh, they're a team that's running the slowest offense in the NFL by far. They're oper- operating at the 10th slowest situation neutral pace. So whether they're losing or winning, they're operating very slow, which means low number of snaps per game, low number of plays per game. And that's typically going to lead to lower yardage production per game as well, especially now they're at home. They're more than a touchdown favorite against the Giants, and they could let their defense and Alvin Kamara just get after the Giants in this game. So when games are close, New Orleans is handing the ball off to their running backs at the highest rate in the league. Uh, Their games are averaging the seventh fewest combined snaps per game and the fifth fewest total points per game. Um, So, you know, the Giants have been a pretty pass-happy team up to this point, but, you know, how much will they be able to pass successfully against New Orleans? I, I just don't know. I do know that when I one thing that I looked at when I was looking at the routes data from PFF this week because I wanted to see now that we have a three week sample under our belts, uh, which which receivers or pass catchers in the NFL are um, continuously losing routes in terms of how much r- routes they're running per week. And the one thing I noticed was Marcus Callaway. He's actually seen his routes run decrease now in three straight games in this offense. Uh, not only that. But he actually has the worst matchup for the Saints this week going up against James Bradbury and Adoree Jackson. Those are two very solid defensive backs for the Giants who were able to contain Calvin Ridley last week. Uh, Terry McLaurin had a good game against them in week two, but I think McLaurin's obviously a far superior talent than Marquez Callaway is. So I actually like that play, Marquez Callaway under 39 and a half receiving yards. It's now juiced to the under. Uh, the projections have them for around 32 and a half receiving yards in this game. Uh, and with the matchup, with the situation of the Saints being heavy favorites at home, you know, leaning on the run, maybe leaning on the, the guys in the passing game who are going to have better matchups like a Camara, you know, like the tight ends. And I, I just don't see them forcing the issue there. So I, I really like that. Instead of going to Winston, where I think we're already getting taxed, there's no value on the under. If anything, maybe there's a little value on the over now. I do think there's value on Callaway's under 39 and a half there. And then with the Giants situation, we're obviously waiting to see. But from right now, it looks like both Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton are going to miss this game, uh, which means it's going to be Kenny Galladay on the outside. Uh, It's going to be probably Colin Johnson, who was cut last year from the Jaguars. He had seven targets or eight targets last week in limited action. And then you're going to see the rookie Kadarius Toney basically play in the slot. And I think you're going to see a decent amount of uh, targets towards Evan Ingram, who's going to be in his second week back from his injury as well. So uh, those are going to be the guys there. Expect an increase in in usage from Saquon Barkley in the passing game too. So once those props come out on the Giants side of things, that's where I would be looking to possibly attack to see if there's any value there. But as of now, I am looking to take advantage of the unders because of how slow the Saints have been playing and how, how slow they want to play. And, and that's where I see the biggest value is the, the one prop that I have given out and I have played so far is Callaway under 39 and a half yards. All right. I'm definitely playing Winston over for sure. The Giants have slightly above average rush defense. That team's 0-3. They're going to sell out against Kamara in this game. If they can stop him, it basically puts the ball in Jameis Winston's hands to go ahead and win this game. So I wouldn't be shocked if you see the Giants go ahead and stack the box 
and say, we just need to stop Kamara. We need to get Jameis in the third and long, second and long, and we're going to put ourselves in a better position to win this game. And I believe if you go back and you look at Winston, uh, some of the you know secondaries that he's had to face, he hasn't exactly faced an easy one. This is going to be uh, the easiest secondary that he's had to face. I believe the Giants are around 22nd or 23rd right now in pass defense. So uh, the more I look at all the numbers here, I'm talking myself into maybe even making a stronger play on Jameis Winston over. That number is just too low. I don't think there's any way that I possibly can't buy that. Uh, and the game script to me kind of makes me feel like the Giants are going to stack the box and just put the, put the you know, it's going to put the ball in Winston's hands to go ahead and do something. Um, regardless of how slow they go, Chris, I just, I have a feeling that that's probably what the Giants are going to do because otherwise they're going to end up 0-4 and you can't let Kamara run wild on you. That's, that's for sure. All right, next game here. Let's go over to, what do we got? Uh, oh, this should be a good one. The Lions and the Bears. Bears going to be minus three, total 42. I don't know, Chris, about this one. I'm guessing we could probably find some defensive uh, props for this game. If Justin Fields plays and they go out there and lose this game, I'll make a prediction about Matt Nagy. He won't get fired because he tried to tell everybody beforehand. Now, I know Chris Dalton is not your guy. I know we're, we're well aware of that. But Andy Dalton's the better quarter. Is, 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 Dalton, is Dalton anybody's guy, Sleepy? <laughs> I don't know, but – He's uh, apparently he's Nagy's guy for for the time being, but let's give credit where credit's due. Matt Nagy was right. Uh, Andy Dalton is the better quarterback right now in this in this offense. And if Fields goes out there, you know I don't know what this game is going to look like. My gut feeling says that if we can find some Detroit Lion props on defense, that maybe we look towards those. Maybe we look towards sack props. Maybe we look towards interceptions. Uh, something with the Detroit defense. Maybe even a prop play Detroit special teams to go ahead and score a touchdown. Uh, I wouldn't rule that out either because when a quarterback goes out and he gets sacked nine times, he has something to do with that. That's not all the offensive line. And Detroit's going to probably go into this game thinking they're going to get after him, and they probably will, Chris, at some point. So I'll look for some weird kind of props with them. Uh, Maybe, like I said, the defensive touchdown, maybe the sack prop. I think that's probably the only way I go. I can't trust Fields to deliver the ball to anybody. And maybe the Lions kind of stack the box and they try to say, you know what, we're not going to let Montgomery run. We're putting it in this kid's hands. You know, the guy last week that looked horrible that threw for, what, one yard or something crazy like that. So Detroit's game plan has to be, you know, let's just make him beat us. And he probably won't. And he'll probably make more mistakes. And, and, you know, Chicago will end up beating themselves. So. I'll look for those. As far as Detroit goes, I don't want anything to do with that team either uh, when it comes to props. So kind of said what I'm going to do there. What do you think, Chris, about the Lions and Bears? Uh, I'm 100% with you. And what I what I think the problem is is that the incompetence in the Bears organization is probably at the highest level in the entire league. And that's saying something because you got guys like Gettleman in New York in other situations. But um, the fact that they they went out of the, they knew they were going to have fields on their team now like it's been maybe like a year almost that they've known that um, you know at least more than six months since the draft and um, they didn't game plan like 
a, a halfway decent game plan to go up and use his skills to his abilities. They were trying to run a lot of RPO, quick hitting passes to curls and things like that, where you want to get fields open in space. You want to have him use his arm ability. He, he's a good, accurate deep ball thrower. And they were trying to have him run all these quick hitting short passes and the pressure was just getting to him. And he wasn't able to get even on the, the few design runs that they called out. It didn't even look like it because he was getting swallowed in the pocket and, and you got to get him outside and, and not have him start these design rushing plays from the, from the, from the middle of the pocket. So I think that the game plan was completely out of whack and, you know, maybe you can't blame it all on Nagy. You got to blame some of it on pace. I mean, that, that, that's just one of the work, the, you know, talk about a guy who should have been fired years ago, but uh, I, I think it's just a, a complete organizational issue with the bears right now. And it's really hard to trust anything. Like you, you want to blame fields. You want to blame Nagy. You want to blame pace. You want to blame all three of them, you know, probably have good reason for all that, but uh, it's not, I, I cannot bet a single over on, on the, uh, on the bear side of things, but I do agree with you. That's one prop I had circled was the sacks prop for this game. And one of the reasons I like it the most is because let's not forget about the bears defense. They, they have a pretty darn good defense. And when you look at the edge and Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn going up against the rookie Panay Sewell, who hasn't really been playing all that great this year, uh, you're, you're seeing a real mismatch in addition to Akeem Hicks at defensive tackle going up against Vitae at right guard. So the fact that we've got the Bears ranked as top seven defensive line in the league where the Lions offensive line is now middle of the pack, I think you're seeing this is one of the biggest mismatches this week. And the only way I can take advantage of that right now, and we don't have any quarterback props for the Bears yet because we don't know who's starting, but Jared Goff, you can get him over basically to have one interception in this game at minus 118. So that to me is where I would lean to right now. Uh, other than that, it's just really hard for me to really gauge where this game's going to go until we know definitively if Dalton or Fields is going to be starting. So I do think this is going to be all about the defense. Uh, you, you can probably have success streaming both of these defense and on DraftKings this week and your DFS lineups or, or picking them off waivers and streaming them in season long league sleepy. So I do like a sacks prop in this game because you're going to see the Lions try to do what Cleveland did albeit to a, a less successful degree. And then you're going to see the Bears line taking advantage of that, taking advantage of what they have already and, and getting to Jared Goff. So I would look to play the over on the sacks in this game. And then I do think there is some value right now uh, on the Jared Goff to have an interception in this game as well. All right, good stuff. Let's jump over to the Browns and Vikings. Vikings are going to be plus two here. Not necessarily sure I agree with that. Uh, total on this one, 51 and a half. Chris, I have one question for you. And if you give me the answer, I'm going to give you a play. Is Dalvin Cook going to play in this game? I think yes. What do I get? Nothing. You don't get a play for me then. What I was going to do. But let's just say we wait till game day. All right? So I'll tell you what I'm what I'm thinking here. Let's say Dalvin Cook. And, and look, I, I still think this has value in it because I'm not sure if he's going to be 100%, if he's going to get 100% run. But let's just say Dalvin Cook doesn't then I would probably play Kirk Cousins over his rushing yards at six and a half. Here's the reason why. I like teams that are trying to kill the quarterback that can really rush from the outside. And when your running back is, you know, either hurt or limited or whatever the case might be, or let's just say, you know, he doesn't even play. Well, Cleveland more than likely, they're going to do anything they can to stop Osborne, Thielen, Jefferson. So they're going to drop guys back. And when you got guys, you know, free rushers coming at you, 
Um, more than likely, Kirk Cousins is going to, you know, he's going to grow a brain real quick. I need to take the hell off and run. And the team that he played this year that he had the most success rushing the ball was against Arizona. And that was the best defensive line, at least as far as pressure goes, uh, that he saw. And he had 35 yards in that game. So if Dalvin Cook doesn't play, I'm definitely on this one. If he does, I'll reconsider, maybe drop it down to a pizza bet. But I like the fact that he's probably going to get a lot of pressure from the outside. And I do believe that if Cook isn't in the game, Cleveland will drop back as many guys as they possibly can to slow down Cousins from throwing. He's lined right now, Chris, at 37 and a half passing attempts. That's a lot of dropbacks. There's going to be a lot of pressure. My gut feeling says he's going to grow a brain at some point and get the hell out of there. And he's going to get a six and a half yards uh, over his rushing. So uh, I'll do that as of right now. And I'll decide on what unit uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and decide to go ahead and uh, and play closer to game day. But right now that's on my list, writing that one down. How about you, Chris? How are you feeling about that Vikings-Browns game? Well, same thing. It's I mean, it's a big mismatch in terms of defensive line versus offensive line here. I mean, the Browns are top six ranked in terms of defensive line, according to EstablishTheRun.com. Vikings offensive line ranks number 21 right now, and you're looking at another mismatch for Miles Garrett going up against the Vikings left tackle Rashad Hill. Um, the fact that the Browns are second in adjusted sack rate, first in pass rush win rate, ninth in pressure percentage. Uh, Jadavion Clowney, not to mention Miles Garrett, he ranks fifth in QB hits with five. Um, so these guys are both getting it done and it's not just what they did against Justin Fields either. They've been playing well in their other games. On top of that, we get a really good matchup here with Odell Beckham and he's Odell Beckham's a guy. I'm not going to lie. Like if you've listened to any of our fantasy draft podcasts the last two seasons, like he's a guy that I've been fading, but Jarvis Landry is not in this offense right now. And the Browns held out Odell Beckham to start this year for a reason because they wanted him like 110% right going into his first game action back. And I'm not going to lie, Odell Beckham looked really good. Is he ever going to be what he was in New York for a certain time? Probably not. But does he need to be? Can he be like 60% of that and still be an all-pro receiver? Absolutely. And he gets a really good matchup here going up against the defensive backs, Brashad Breland and Patrick Peterson with the Vikings. Um, So... I think that Odell Beckham, you know, I was looking at his uh, receptions and receiving yards props. I really like the receiving yards at over 65 and a half. You can get that at minus 115 pretty much anywhere in the industry right now. This is a guy in his first game back against Chicago in a game where the Browns didn't need to throw much at all, especially late in the game. They really took their foot off the gas pedal late. He had nine targets, five catches, 77 yards. Now we're getting a game with a much higher over-under total on the road in a dome on a fast track. Minnesota in this game, you know, we're seeing a 51 and a half point over under for the Browns at the Vikings. So, you know, Beck, uh, uh, Baker's going to have to throw more to Odell Beckham and you're going to see those pass attempts go up. You're going to see the target volume go up for OBJ in the process. And I think he has no problem at least getting to where he was last week. And we don't even need him to do that. We, we can, we, he can get 12 yards less than what he had last week in his first game back in over a year of missing action and we're going to hit this prop here. So I really do like Odell Beckham over 65 and a half. Um, I'd even consider double dipping on him because you, know, you can get him over four and a half catches, although the juice isn't very friendly on that one. You got to pay about minus 140, minus 145. So because of that, I'm going to stick to the receiving yards for now. And I really do like him a lot for DFS purposes because of that mismatch there. And I think we could surprisingly see a decent amount of points here between the Browns and the Vikings. 
All right, Chris, solid stuff there. I like a lot of those recommendations. Let's jump over to Washington and Atlanta. Atlanta going to be plus one here at home. We have a total of 47 and a half. I'm going to make this quick here, Chris. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to play the Atlanta Falcons team total under the 23 and a half. That's the play that I like for this particular game. Reason being, Washington's being thrown in the garbage. A lot of people are, are talking about that defense. And look, I think that defense is still pretty damn good. They had to go up against Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Daniel Jones. And Daniel Jones was in you know, a particular situation where I felt like he was going to throw the ball a lot. And a lot of that had to do with you know, Saquon Barkley not being 100% healthy. I believe that I'm buying the Washington defense at, at its lowest point that we're probably going to see it all year. And this Falcons offense has showed me nothing that they can move the ball up and down the field on a good defense. So I'm doing that Atlanta Falcons under their team total 23 and a half. Again, I'm buying low. You guys are going to hear that all week. And I I've had success with that. And we try to teach you that, you know, you want to buy low, you don't want to buy high. That doesn't help you. So that's what I'm doing. How about you, Chris? What are you feeling about Washington and Atlanta? Well, I actually kind of like the over in this game. Um, Washington secondary is really bad. They rank 29th in DVOA yards per drive points per drive given up. Uh, they were absolutely boat raced by Buffalo in week three. Uh, and they made Daniel Jones and the Giants offense look like world beaters just a couple weeks ago on primetime. So uh, this Washington team, they've been burned by every offense they've played so far. So, you know, maybe you can buy into the defensive line having an advantage over the Falcons. But uh, I, I think that the Falcons are going to be able to move the ball. I, I don't think the Falcons can get any worse than what they've been so far. And we still saw them eke out a win, even though it was an ugly win in week three over the Giants. We still saw the Falcons be competitive up until the midpoint of the fourth quarter against the Buccaneers in week two as well. So trust me, as much as like as much as I'm salty against Matt Ryan, because I got Ridley in one of my in one of my high stakes dynasty leagues, and he's been a little underwhelming so far. One thing I I do want to say, Sleepy, because I know we try to mix in some fantasy stuff here, is like uh, to me, there's a couple of like really, really, really strong buy low opportunities in fantasy. And even though Calvin Ridley hasn't been terrible, I would try to buy low on him right now while you can, because I think this could be a blow up spot for him in this game here. Um, Calvin Ridley has the fourth most expected fantasy points out of any receiver in the NFL. And he's right now like a borderline top 20 receiver. So uh, the, the underlying numbers are there, the air yards, the target share, the routes run. And even if they're going to be playing from behind every single week, that's probably only going to benefit his cause in that aspect there. So uh, I, I do think that Calvin Ridley is a really good buy low. And th the thing that I'm seeing the most here, and I, I've had these guys circled since the beginning of the week, but I haven't made plays on them yet, is uh, Terry McLaurin has a great matchup on the outside against the Falcons, Fabian Moreau. And then, the, and then Ridley himself has a great matchup on the outside with Washington football teams, Benjamin St. Just. Those are two of the biggest mismatches on the board when we're looking at wide receiver defensive back matchups for week four. Uh, and the fact that like the pace of these teams are, are, are going to be really good. The Washington football team with Taylor Heineken in their center, they're operating at a very fast pace in neutral situations. Uh, they're the fifth fastest offense so far since Heineke's been under center. Their games average the fifth most combined plays ninth most total points and opponent opponents are throwing against Washington at, a, at an above average rate. So I, I believe that I expect that to continue uh, with the Atlanta Falcons here playing at home on the fast track in the dome. Uh, and they've been passing at the 10th highest rate 
themselves through through the last couple weeks here. So uh, all these reasons combined, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, fantasy goodness in this game. Maybe a little bit of inefficiency, but I believe that the the, the main stars are going to get there. Uh, so I am very high in McLaurin and Ridley. Uh, you know, you want to do a little mini stack in your DFS lineup. I wouldn't mind throwing Ridley and McLaurin both into my lineup for this week. So even even if Ryan plays bad, even if the Washington football team gets after him and sacks him a bunch of time and roughs him up, I think Calvin Ridley's going to get his, and I think uh, Terry McLaurin's going to get his as well. Uh, and then when you look at Washington's side, they have a pretty nice mismatch in terms of their offensive line against the Falcons. The Falcons rank dead last in the NFL in their defensive line rating, 32nd overall. Uh, and even though Washington's offensive line hasn't been that great so far this season, I think it could be a big edge for Antonio Gibson, who has had a really quiet start to his season in terms of what he's been able to do on the ground. So um, those are just a couple of the areas that I'm looking overall for this game. But I do think 48, given the pace that both these teams play at, given how bad both these secondaries have been, uh, I I do think there's a lot of reason to like the over in this game. So uh, I'm going to focus on the superstars, who I also think kind of goes to the theme of of what you've been saying, Sleepy, is like, buying low on McLaurin and buying low on Ridley just for this week alone. All right. Good stuff there, Chris. I got Ridley. I'm going to keep him in my, uh, I'm going to keep him in my lineup after listening to you on that one. Uh, The next game. I don't want a whole lot to do with this one here, Chris. It's the Colts. It's the Dolphins. I'll tell you right now, the only guy I feel that I can trust is Naheem Mines. I would probably put him in my DFS. He's on DraftKings right now, 4,900. I feel pretty good with that. I would consider going ahead and maybe playing him over 52 and a half rushing and receiving yards. I just feel like he's the only guy I can trust. Jonathan Taylor right now is banged up. I don't want no part of Miami, not with Brissett, not with all the guys that they have. And I can't really just, I, I really just can't trust Brissett to go ahead. And, you know, I don't know which wide receiver he's going to go to. Maybe it is Pittman. I don't know. But if, you know, Xavier Howard's going to be lined up on him, then it's like, well, do you go to the secondary guy or do you go to this guy? No, you're going to go to Naheem Hines. That, that's, I, I feel like I know that, Chris. So I'm going to look over and under or over 52 and a half rushing and receiving, and I will play Naheem Hines to score a touchdown in this game. I'm guessing I'll probably get plus money because he's not the biggest name. So if it's plus money, I'm on it. I'll play that down to like minus 120. Naheem Hines to score a touchdown. That's what I'm doing, Chris. What do you got? Uh, yeah, for this game, uh, when the Lions first came out, uh, the number one prop that just jumped out on the board to me was Jalen Waddle over his receptions. Um, and I think that even though the juice is definitely there for him, uh, I do think that there is value still, even if you have to eat it and pay one fifth minus 150, um, you know, it's basically you're risking one and a half units to win a unit. I'm okay with having one and a half units exposure on Jalen Waddle uh, over under on his receptions for this game at three and a half. I would also consider if you got the prop builder tool that a lot of the offshore books offer, see what you can do once. Uh, I, I think I looked last night. They didn't have this game on the board yet. I like bet online, bet DSI, all those other books uh, that they share. All, they share that prop builder tool throughout those books together. But if you can go up to four and a half, and maybe you get like a plus 125, plus 130, maybe even more. Sometimes they'll juice those up pretty nice if you alter the, the lines against yourself. But I would look to that and maybe split my bet between those two. Uh, because, I mean, you can't deny the amount of targets that Jalen Waddle got last week. And uh, Jacoby Brissett in this Dolphins offense, surprisingly, like 
even though Brissett's under center, they're still looking to pass. And they, they came into this season with an entire offseason of preparing for Tua at quarterback, which meant a ton of short, quick-hitting passes in the offense, like snap and throw. And the perfect guy to complement that offense is a talented rookie slot receiver in Jalen Waddell. So when I look at the volume this guy got, Jacoby Brissett obviously trusts him, and he has the talent and the trust of the coaching staff as well. This guy leads the team in targets on the season. He also leads the team in, in receiving yards. He's almost double the next person in receptions with 22 catches on the year too. So I really like Jalen Waddle uh, over three and a half catches. I think that should be lined at at least four and a half. Uh, and you can probably get four and a half um, at plus money uh, if you can if you can try to play that up and, and alter the line there. Last week, even though it went to overtime, 13 targets, 12 catches, even in week two in a game where the Dolphins were getting blown out and essentially the second half almost was irrelevant in that game for them, he still had eight targets, six catches. So you've seen week one, four catches, week two, six catches, week three, 12 catches. The targets have gone up every single week as well. Uh, the low A dot really helps him. Uh, that's my favorite prop by far in this game. And then the Colts side of things, like that's where it gets tricky because they want to run the ball they just haven't been able to do it so far because they keep falling behind in every single game. So uh, I'm a little bit worried about the Colts. Obviously, Michael Pittman's getting the volume to be a wide receiver one, but now he gets his toughest matchup of the season, arguably going up against maybe the best defensive back duo with Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. And I'm worried about Pittman betting the overs on him because of that matchup. And who else do the does the uh, Dolphins defense really have to worry about other than stopping Pittman? which means you could see a lot of short passes to your guy, Naheem Hines, as well as Zach Pascal, who's playing the slot. Maybe even a guy like a Paris Campbell, who's surprisingly running most of his routes on the outside where he came into the NFL as a slot receiver. That's another story for another day. But uh, Jalen Waddle to me, by far and away, the best player on the board in this game. All right, good stuff there, Chris. Let's jump over to the Cardinals. Let's jump over to the Rams. Uh, current line on this game right now, uh, Rams are going to be minus three and a half. Total on this one, 54. So they're expecting... Uh, quite a bit of points in this one. Chris, I was just t- telling you before, I like when I get defensive lines that could put pressure that could put pressure on the quarterback. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play Kyler Murray over his rushing yards, 33 and a half. He hasn't gone over that number all year long. So again, I'm buying low in a situation that I believe is going to actually help him out. Now, look, Murray's been wanting to throw the ball, but he does have a couple guys on that Rams defense uh, that could slow down some of those wide receivers. I have the Rams linebacking core as one of the worst in the league. So if he can get some pressure and those linebackers aren't exactly doing what they're supposed to be doing, some of his receivers are locked down. I don't see why Murray doesn't use his legs in this particular game. And look, this isn't going to be, you know, a blowout game. It's not like, you know, they're playing the Jaguars or they're beating up on the Titans. You know, they're, they're playing a good team. They're going to be in this game. Murray is going to have to do something in order to win this game or to keep them in it. And although his arm is, is really good and he's got some receivers, I believe he goes back to his legs here. I think we see a lot of running. So for me, without a doubt, Kyler Murray over 33 and a half rushing yards. As far as the Rams are concerned, I'm guessing it's probably going to be a lot of Stafford to cut, but I don't want to go ahead and deal with those lines that they have set. So that's it for me. What do you got for that game? Yeah, you know what? It's probably like a, it's probably a chalky square play, but uh, I'm going right back to Cooper Cup, man. Uh, right now, the modest projections have him for 7.6 receptions, 93 and a half receiving yards. 
and the line is 82 and a half. So I, I just don't think that this line can be set high enough right now. Uh, people keep expecting a bounce back from Robert Woods where Cooper Cups might wind up being the number one overall receiver in fantasy all season long. And, you know, we just might not be able to adjust to that so far this early in the season. So uh, the fact that you're seeing, you know, the pass rush with the Rams, as you mentioned, like what's uh, or with the Cardinals having a good pass rush on the other side as well, Chandler Jones, obviously, and some of the guys they have, like, what does that mean? Is that Cooper Cup's going to continue to thrive running, I believe, about 75% of his routes this season out of the slot? Matthew Stafford trusts him in all areas of the field, at home, in a divisional game, which is very important for both these teams here in the toughest division in the league. And we get a 54.5 point over under. Like both these teams are going to score, both these teams are going to put up yards. The, the type of offenses these teams are running points to a lot of plays and a lot of passing volume in this matchup here. So I'm going right back to Cooper cup. I'm double dipping on six and a half catches. I think it should be set at at least seven and a half and I'm playing the over 82 and a half yards as well. Uh, another prop that I actually like, which I haven't given out yet. I haven't bet yet. I've just had my eye on it all week. And it goes back to what you were mentioning about uh, Kyler Murray with the rushing yards is a guy like chase Edmonds, like chase Edmonds right now, he's profiling as like the number one receiving back in the NFL. Uh, Last week alone, he ran a route on 69% of dropbacks, had a 24% target share, was targeted on 30% of his routes. Like, that's a number you want to see elite wide receivers get, targeting on 30% of the routes that they run. And then when you look at the two key factors you want to look at for running backs in the passing game is long down and distance. So, like, what happens when it's second and 12, uh, third and 15, you know, fourth down and 10, and you got to go for it? What what happens in the two-minute drill, right, when you got to you know, play no huddle offense and speed up down the field, a lot of checkdowns? Chase Edmonds is playing 100% of the snaps long down in distance and in the two-minute drill. Um, I just don't think, because of the fact we're getting Jalen Ramsey, uh, likely again, even though DeAndre Hopkins might not be 100%, uh, it's hard to not envision Jalen Ramsey not covering uh, DeAndre Hopkins in this game. So because of that, where's the value going to be? Okay, well, you said Kyler Murray rushing. I I, I tend to agree with you there. Uh, What I would say is, like, Christian Kirk, he's been playing. He's been the number one slot receiver for this team. And why why is his receiving yards total at 40.5 right now on Fox Bet or 42.5, even 43.5 across the board, when this guy has – Christian Kirk has been the number one receiver – in this offense now through the first three weeks for a very high volume passing offense. So uh, this is a case where like Kirk has just never been that guy to be consistent. And we just might be seeing, be seeing like a delayed breakout, even though he's still a young, talented player in this league here. So I think there's a lot of value playing Christian Kirk over on his receiving yards. Sleepy, this guy's had 70, 65 and 104. And now he's getting a game where the pass rush is going to be getting to Murray. We're going to have Ramsey on Hopkins, and there's a 54.5 over-under. Why is Christian Kirk still lying in the 40s, playing out of the slot? I don't get that one. Uh, I don't know if I'm missing something there, but that's an over that I'm going to play. Uh, and also Chase Edmonds is the same thing. I talked about the usage, very strong in the receiving game there. Uh, I, I just, even though the projections are modest with him, and they're saying he, this line is maybe set one or two yards you know, above where he's going to be, I just think all the situational factors that you have to handicap into betting these props, they all point to the overs for me. So instead of trying to go to Hopkins, 
who's going to have his hands full with Jalen Ramsey. I think Chase Edmonds, 33 and a half receiving yards. And Christian Kirk, if you can get anywhere between 40 and a half to 43 and a half, I think those are great values in this game. That could be a shootout here in week four. I don't think you're missing anything with that one, Chris. I think one of the things that we have to consider is that, you know, when a team has three or four wide receivers, uh, a lot of those guys are going to be splitting the numbers down the board because the books know, you know, that that's probably the safest way for them to go is, you know, just like A.J. Green's out there, 35 and a half. Uh, his receptions went up again. He had a pretty good game. I mean, granted, uh, give the guy some credit, but we know Kirk could beat you in one throw. How many times has he caught in, you know, big, big passes? He can go over that with just one catch. And like you're talking about, you know, if Hopkins is not 100% and Ramsey's going ahead trying to get him out of the game, well, who does Murray feel the most comfortable with? My gut feeling says it's probably Edmonds, Kirk, and I would even throw maybe a Rondell Moore in there too. So I'm not against that play at all. It feels low to me, Chris. Uh, it feels like it should maybe, you know, be somewhere uh, somewhere in the 50s because, as you had mentioned, Kirk has been playing really well. He's, you know, going off, so – I don't know why you would even think about fate in that play. I think you'd either have to be on it or off it. Let's jump over to Seahawks. Let's jump over to 49ers. 49ers going to be minus three in this game. Uh, total right now, 51 and a half. I like Seattle plus the three. I'll go ahead. I'll give you guys that. San Fran right now, they still have no, they still don't have a running back that's healthy. I don't believe. Maybe Trey Sermon's healthy, but uh, I think Seattle can carve up San Francisco. Uh, Seattle coming off of a loss. I understand that they're in their second road game, but, you know, they're going to stay on the West Coast. So I don't believe the travel is going to be, uh, you know, super worrisome for this particular game. Seattle's a better team. They have the better wide receivers. They have the better quarterback. I don't want to go out and say that they have the better coach, but they certainly have the far more experienced coach. I like Seattle plus the three as far as props are concerned. Uh, I'll listen to Chris, see if he says anything that perks up my ears. But this is one game that, I didn't feel like I needed to look at the props because I felt like I had a winning bet with the Seahawks. How are you feeling about that one, Chris? Well, this is actually my first time taking a look at the props for this game. They must have came out earlier today. I remember I was looking late last night. There was nothing on the board at the time. Um, man, uh, th- this is a tough game, but the one prop at the top of the board that jumps out to me is the unders. And you're looking at a divisional game here where I, I would honestly lean under in this game. 52 points to me is too high. Uh, you look at the pace that both of these offenses are running. Uh, they're, uh, San Francisco is running at the fifth slowest situation neutral pace. Uh, Seattle's averaging last in terms of time of possession. It, and it's by like a country mile, man. Like they're running a super slow offense. The only reason you really haven't noticed it is because they're just – crushing it in efficiency with those long bombs of Tyler Lockett over the first couple weeks of the year. But Tyler Lockett's banged up, man. Like if you saw the way his teammates circled around him last week, when he went down with that knee injury, it looked really bad. Like, you know, season ending career ending type of injury. And then he, he gets back up credit to him and, and got back in the game. But now he's listed as questionable with both uh, hip injuries and ankle injuries. So I just don't know. Tyler Lockett's always been that really small type of guy where he's a warrior but he's going to get roughed up by guys who are twice his size. And I think that's what's led, you know, led him to, to get more injured than most receivers, so to speak, over the last few years. Um, you can't deny his talent, obviously, but if he's not 100%, then that makes me like the under in this game even more. Um, and I think just the way, again, both these offenses run at a very slow tempo. I think you have like old school-minded head coach and Pete Carroll where 
he's still not letting you take the reins off of Russell Wilson. Even though the matchup is good, San Francisco has been burned by opposing receivers. And I would look to a DK Metcalf to play him, uh, you know, in DFS. Uh, you're not going to see those props yet because of Tyler Lockett's injury status right now. But having said that, um, Chris Carson, to me, like I want to play the under on his receiving yards right now. The projections has have him at about 11 and a half receiving yards. And we're seeing the total right now at 17 and a half. Um, his, his receiving usage in this offense has, has completely disappeared, Sleepy, over the last couple of weeks. Now, you, we saw last week uh, Travis Homer come in and basically play uh, the third down receiving back role in this offense for almost the entire second half of that game there. So I don't think that Chris Carson, he left the field briefly last week because of a hamstring injury. And I just think that because of all these reasons, like they've, he's kind of been phased out of the passing game. Uh, he's one of the guys I, I, I had mentioned when I'm looking at guys, which guys have had their uh, routes increase for three straight weeks, which guys have had their routes decrease for three straight weeks. Chris Carson, week one, 66, 66% ran a route on dropbacks. Week two, 46%. Week three, 24%. Uh, and his, his, his rate in the two-minute offense, 0% last week. Long down and distance, 13%. So he's not getting those opportunities to catch the ball overall. And I think you're seeing that. And I think that I just don't know if the books have adjusted to that trend yet, which to me, I'm seeing that now. And when I'm seeing a, a game that's going to be played tightly to the vest between two divisional opponents, uh, so I'm not going to hesitate to play an under on that, even though it's a very low total there. When you look at Chris Carson so far through three weeks, Sleepy, he had, he had um, three targets in week one, 26 yards. Then in week two, zero targets, zero yards. Week three, two targets, two yards. So for me, I think, you know, 11 and a half when the, when the line is 17 and a half and we get that type of projection difference, I'm going to play the under there. Uh, and then I will look to attack DK Metcalf once his lines come out, even though I'm guessing that the, the books are going to properly, uh, properly put him at a certain spot where there just might not be value betting the over on him anymore, even though we had fun with that while it lasted last season. All right, solid stuff there, Chris. A lot of stuff to go ahead and consider. As you were talking, Chris, I was going ahead and I was looking through uh, game props, and there is one thing that maybe I'll go ahead and consider playing, and it's third down conversions, 10.5 over for both of these teams. I believe San Francisco will have some success going ahead and, and sustaining some long drives against Seattle. The Seattle defense I don't like. And one of the things that Russell Wilson's really good at, and they were actually pretty poor at it last week. I believe they were like three for eight or three for nine on third down. Uh, it's a high total. It's 51 and a half. I believe we'll probably see, you know, 10, 11, 12 uh, third down, maybe even more conversions made in that one. So that's something that I would look at. It's lined a little bit to the over right now at uh, minus 125. So I would consider that. I think both of these offenses are good enough. And defensively, I think both of these teams, you know, could go ahead and, and, and bend, maybe not break, you know, the whole game. But uh, I would consider that. Let's talk about my Packers. They're going to be at home laying six and a half to the Steelers. Uh, total in this one, 45 and a half. Haven't really considered anything for this game as of yet, Chris. My gut feeling says be careful messing with the Packers. I know that team. That's my team. They typically don't do well against AFC teams, especially from the AFC North. So just a little bit of caution with that. Uh, it looks like right now, Chris, we don't have a whole lot of props on this game. Uh, I see Najee Harris that's popped up here 
Devontae Adams line to 89 and a half. Uh, actually, you know what, Chris? I'll do it, dude. I'll do Adams over seven and a half catches. He's the best wide receiver in the league. And I know it's my guy and it's my team, but I'm guessing, Chris, he's got to be in your top three. And Rodgers knows where to go when he needs to get yards. And it's to Devontae Adams. He's not looking at anybody else but him. That dude's an elite route runner. He will get open. He will catch the ball. So I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up with eight catches in this game, 10 catches, 11, 12, somewhere in that area. I would even consider maybe playing his receiving yards over. Maybe we just do a maybe we do a double dip Adams receptions over Adams yardage over. I feel like we'll at least get one of those um, for sure. As far as Pittsburgh concerned, I don't know. It's uh, it's a situation with Big Ben right now that I have to wait and see because I don't know where he's at right now. He can be completely off the rails right now, and uh, I'll watch every single play and I'll be able to get a better assessment of Pittsburgh. Uh, probably in week five, but that's what I'll do, Chris. I'll take Adams, old Mr. Reliable. Roger's going to go to him one way or another. That's what I'll do. Yeah, I I don't mind it either. Um, I think it's a great DFS play. I mean, the volume that Devontae Adams had 18 targets last week, and you feel like he he left a lot of yards on the field. He actually led the league uh, in week three in air yards with 253 in week three. And that was one of the props that we hit in that game was his longest reception over. He's getting targeted down the field. He actually, well, there was a couple long ones that were really close to him coming down with. He could have had way more than 132 receiving yards in that game. So he's just, he's in a tier of his own. Uh, the next highest in, in uh, air yards last week was Nelson Aguilar with 180. And, uh, Nelson Aguilar finished with 17 receiving yards on 180 air yards. Devontae Adams had 132 receiving yards on his air yards. So you see that the, obviously talent leads to efficiency no matter what the well, no matter what the air yards say at the end of the day. So I don't hate those plays either. You know, I think they're aligned appropriately. He's getting the respect there in the prop market by the books. Uh, but he does get a, a matchup upgrade going against the Steelers defensive backs and James Pierre and Cameron Sutton there. So I, I do like that for Devontae Adams having a plus matchup there. I also like the Packers defensive line. You know, they, they lost to Darius Smith earlier this season on the defense, which hurts them a little bit, but you know, they're still middle of the pack. They're ranked 16th overall, right in the middle of the NFL. The Steelers offensive line, on the other hand, ranks 28th in the NFL. So I think you're going to see that as a recurring theme for Pittsburgh's offensive line is being mismatched against almost every team they play. You still have defensive tackle Kenny Clark and edge rusher Preston Smith, I think those both those guys are popping off in, in terms of what the pass rush grade models are showing for the Packers uh, in this matchup here. So uh, I do like that matchup for the Packers in this one. I think it's going to really – it's going to lead to a lot of what we've seen already. And the one guy I'm going to be looking to a target sleepy on the props when the lines do come out uh, is Deontay Johnson over receptions because he's – I believe he practiced fully either today or now the last two days um, – Chase Claypool, surprisingly, who had 15 targets last week, uh, he was downgraded today to questionable. You don't like this. Usually when a guy has a questionable tag early in the week, you don't really mind it. But when he goes from probable or, or active healthy to questionable late in the week now, you know, Thursday practice, that's a caution flag for me, even though I'm still expecting him to play from all the reports so far. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster did not practice or he was limited. So his status is up in the air. Um, but you're going to see a lot of quick hitting passes again. And if the, if the Steelers are playing from behind, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to run the ball successfully. 
know, I know, I know some sharp people that are on Najee Harris over rushing attempts, which is plus 105 at 13 and a half. I just can't get there myself, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Steelers make a concerted effort to try to run the ball a little more as opposed to the ridiculous 19 targets that Najee Harris had in week three against the Bengals. So uh, that's where I'm at for this game. You know, wait for Deontay's props to come out. I would love to fire on like over five and a half catches, maybe even over six and a half catches for Deontay Johnson. Um, other than that, it's um, you know, really hard to tie yourself to anything yardage wise with Big Ben because he's 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 chucking it around the field and he's chucking it like sideways. He's not throwing the ball down the field at all. So I'm going to bet on the receptions as opposed to the receiving yards for Pittsburgh. And I think that's one of the reasons why people are going ahead playing Najee Harris over Chris is because they don't know if they can trust Big Ben right now. And the only way you're going to beat Green Bay is to, you know, shorten the game. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see a lot of Najee Harris for this particular game. Let's jump over to our final one here, Chris. Uh, we got Baltimore. We got Denver. Denver, they're going to be uh, plus one. I believe they're plus one for this game. Let me check the line. I thought they were minus one. They are... Broncos are going to be plus one here on DraftKings. We have a total 44 and a half. Chris, I'm going back to one of my plays that I'm undefeated on, and that's Lamar Jackson to go ahead and throw an interception in this game. I think the Denver defense is for real. I have them ranked number one defense in the league. Uh, I understand they haven't played exactly, you know, the most elite competition, but I still have worries about the Baltimore backfield. I have worries about, guys like uh, Butterfinger Brown out there. And I believe Lamar tries to do maybe a little bit too much here with his legs. Jackson doesn't throw a whole hell of a lot of interceptions, to be honest with you. He just doesn't. But uh, I believe that there's a particular game script, certain things that are going to materialize in this game against Denver where he might press a little bit. And I like Denver in this game. Uh, I bet Denver in this game. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play Lamar Jackson to go ahead and throw an interception. You can get that over at minus 105. I feel pretty good with that one. I'm going to put my undefeated Lamar Jackson interception prop on the line for this game. Chris, that's all I got. What do you got for the Ravens and the Broncos? Man, I, I this is, might be the one game I just don't have a prop on, Sleepy, honestly. It's just, you know, the, Bronco, the Broncos haven't played anybody yet. I mean, they played Daniel Jones in week one. Then they had maybe the two best matchups in terms of Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer and then playing against the, the Jets and Zach Wilson there. So, uh, this is going to be their their first real test here, and you know what are they going to do to contain Lamar Jackson? I think I think what you saw last week was the Ravens sometimes will have these games where they think they're kind of like gimme wins, and they're like, you know what, like let's use this week to like get Lamar to open him up passing and to get him some confidence because we're going to need him to do that in the playoffs if we really want to do anything. And I think that's what we saw in Detroit. Baltimore should have won that game in a blowout. Uh, they wind up, you know, having to win on that miracle field goal at the end there. But I mean, Marquise Brown, you can't deny the air yards that he got and he hasn't really been known for drops. So I'm willing to forgive him because separation is a skill. Uh, earning targets is a skill. So I, I'm, I'm more than comfortable going back to Marquise Brown and DFS, even in a tough matchup here. Uh, and I, I do think that the running back props for Denver are, are a little bit inflated, uh, Melvin Gordon, 47 and a half. It's juice to the under on DraftKings right now, minus 120. Um, I don't know. Just nothing for me right now that's popping off the board that's going to make a play other than, like I said, Marquise Brown, maybe go to him in DFS because people are going to be off him after those drops. But, you know, if he did catch at least one of those two, first of all, it was two drops. The first one was tipped right before he caught it. 
and then he had two drops. Uh, I, I remember Will Fuller doing the same thing a couple years back, and he bounced back with some monster games. So I wouldn't be afraid to go back to Marquise Brown, where he, he's a guy – he's been getting open at will. He's a guy that, like, I kind of hated on last year a little bit and faded him a lot in fantasy, but – He's really like turned it on, and he's been consistently a guy who gets open at almost any matchup that he's in. So I don't know. Uh, he's the one guy that to me I can't get away from in DFS with the upside that he has. But this could be a real uh, ugly type of grinded out game because I don't know now. You have Teddy Bridgewater now. He's down Jerry Judy. Uh, he lost KJ Hamler last week, and even though KJ Hamler wasn't a big part of the offense, it's still another guy that's out there that's stretching the field for them. So. Now when you look at it, they, they're down to Cortland Sutton, they're down to uh, Tim Patrick, and they're two tight ends. And outside of that, they've got a rookie running back and Melvin Gordon. So I think the Broncos are going to play very conservatively in this game. And I, I wouldn't hate to look at some under props overall, given the fact that we have you know a really low total at 44 uh, for this game overall. And I think we're really going to get an idea of who the Broncos actually are uh, after this game here. So I, I don't know. That, that's kind of my overall thoughts here. I'm going to keep digging into the research as the week goes on, see if I can pull anything out where I see an edge in terms of the prop market. But uh, as far as that goes, there's nothing really that's jumping off the page for me here over or under for this game. Yeah, I probably would have go ahead and void, you know, the Broncos running backs because we've made enough money on them, Chris, where it looks like they're both being adjusted up. I would consider maybe Fant over his receiving yards. Uh, right now lined at like 39 and a half. Uh, with Hamler down, he's got to go ahead and throw you know, to one of his, you know, top targets. And if it's not going to be Sutton, uh, more than likely, I think it's probably going to be Fant. And we've seen Fant go off and have big games before and get the production. Baltimore's going to have a lot of their defensive guys coming back for this game. So I don't believe Baltimore's defense is going to be, you know, as, as bad as it has been. But that team could be 0-3, you know. In reality, that team could be an 0-3 football team, you know, heading on the road right now. So, uh, although a lot of people are, you know, throwing, uh, you know, throwing Denver in the garbage just because they've played some bad teams, you know, Baltimore could be 0-3 as well, and they played some bad teams. So we'll see how everything shakes out. I do like Denver. I'll consider that Fant prop there, Chris. I, I don't I don't hate that one either. And uh, we'll see if your boy Butterfinger Brown will uh, get a couple catches. You're right, 100%, though. He does get separation. I have him in my fantasy league. I probably won't plug him in. I don't believe this is the matchup for him, but uh, we'll see. So we went through all the games there, guys, uh, a little bit quicker than usual. Uh, Chris and I, we still have a whole hell of a lot of work to do. Uh, as always, we'll go ahead. We'll do our Sunday night, Monday night podcast. Not sure who I'm going to have on that one. Chris has some family coming in, so he's going to go. He's going to take those two games off. Maybe I'll get a hold of Uncle Dave. Maybe I'll get a hold of Mackenzie. Uh, Mackenzie and I, we've been on a, a really good run with our Thursday night podcast. So make sure you guys go ahead. Subscribe to the podcast. Go over to bettingpredators.com. Uh, make sure you subscribe over there. Get all the information, all the articles, everything that Chris is putting up. And our boy there, Steve, avoid the VIG. Uh, those guys are working hard behind the scenes, uh, probably more than you guys know. So you guys know where to find us on Twitter, SleeperJ underscore pregame. You know where to get Chris, at Mad Journalist. And you know where to find us both at the betting predators and at pregame.com. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck this Sunday. Enjoy the games. <laughs>